Um, I am so grateful for all of your prayers and thoughts and well wishes um, at, with our little COVID scare there. Like I said, we got quick tested last week and it came back negative. So that was fantastic. And we really do appreciate the prayers. Uh, last week in the, my video message, I left you guys with a challenge. I challenge you to begin introducing a rule of life, a framework into which you can pour all of yourself to help you keep focused on loving God and loving others. And I suggested two components, the online devotional, which we're all doing. It's not too late to get involved. You can still jump in and get involved there. And last week I taught on the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And I challenge you to pray that prayer at least once a day, at least once a day, and use those things to kind of bookend your day and to begin to build that rule of life. So if you're watching online and you did that, just hop in the chat box and let us know how, how it went, what you did, how you found the devotional, how the Lord's Prayer affected your day, if it did. That would be awesome. We are going to jump back in to the book of Acts. And as we do, um, we're thinking about our, uh, how people come to know Jesus. And some people are born into families of faith, which is fantastic. And they grow up and they can't remember a time when they didn't know Jesus. Other people, it's a kind of a process over the course of time. And one day they kind of pick up their heads and they're like, hey, look at me, I'm following Jesus. It's just kind of a gradual transition. And then there are other folks like me where I can think back to a specific point and place in time and say, that's when Jesus found me. February 16th, 1988, I was on a ski trip with the high school youth group from Grace Episcopal Church here in Trumbull. I was a senior in high school towards the end of my senior year, looking forward to college and college football and all that good stuff. And the girl I was dating was a big skier, and she said, come with me on a ski trip. Okay. Skiing, a girl, I think I can do that. It's Saturday night. They're having this big worship service deal, and... Um, I still remember the song. It's this uh, song called Be Glad. It's an old school song by a guy named Michael Kelly Blanchard. It's like a, this, we would call it now like indie folk, but it's just an amazing song. And in that moment, Jesus reached out and he grabbed a hold of my heart. And I became aware of the fact that he was the only thing that was going to cure the ache in my soul, the only thing that was going to fill the hole in my heart. And as they passed around these little slips of paper with these three check boxes, one of them was, I want to follow Jesus. So I checked that one, and from that point on, my life has been forever altered. Who would have thought a weekend of skiing and chasing after a girl would be uh, a life-altering encounter with Jesus Christ? As we look now at the Apostle Paul, he had one of the most famous moments of, of Jesus, coming to know Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's so famous that we even, um, have, we even use it to describe other people's thoughts of transition or transition experience. You say, hey, he had a Damascus Road experience. Like if somebody goes from becoming a Yankees fan to a Red Sox fan overnight, that's a Damascus Road experience. They do a, a complete 180 and about face and, and they turn around. And man, did the, did the Apostle Paul um, have one of those. So we're going we're gonna to spend this week and next week, we're going to take a kind of an in-depth look at his actual experience, his first encounter with the risen Jesus today. And next week, we're going to fast forward to the end of his life and see all that Jesus did, the effect that he had on Paul and in Paul. And for the rest of our time in the book of Acts, that's kind of the in-between there. So we're going to start at the beginning. Next week, I'm going to tell you the end of the story, and then we'll fill, we'll fill in the blanks. But the first couple times we see Paul in the book of Acts are uh, 
sketchy. Man, he just, he is a bad man, and he is out to destroy the church. A couple weeks ago, when um, we studied Philip, an Ethiopian eunuch, uh, I'm sorry, when we studied Stephen, and Carrie brought us the, the message on Stephen and the Holy Spirit, Paul was the one who was orchestrating, was giving approval to that. Here's the, the verses for that. This is uh, Acts 8.1. And Saul, Paul and Saul, same person, and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So now we jump ahead to the very first verses of chapter 9. This is after um, Stephen's stoning and the church is scattered. And it's talking about the disciples going everywhere except the apostles staying in Jerusalem while that's happening. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he be found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Paul was out to do in the church. He wanted to destroy the church. How did, how did he get to that position? And I want to take a quick look at who, at who Paul is. Um, I have a sheet here of facts about his life in front of me, and I want to make sure I didn't, I didn't forget any of them. So I'm going to use the names interchangeably, Paul and Saul. And there's kind of like a, a Christian urban myth that he was Saul up until his conversion, and then Jesus renamed him Paul. That's actually not the case. Um, the Holy Spirit and the apostles, other people referred to him as Saul after that conversion experience. He begins using the name Paul, which is the Greek version of Saul, the Hebrew name. He begins using the name Paul as he goes on missionary journeys to Greek-speaking uh, territory. So he can be all things to all people. To those who are Greek, he became like a Greek. So Saul and Paul are going to use it interchangeably. He was born somewhere between 2 and 6 AD, as near as scholars can pinpoint. So he's a little bit younger than Jesus. He was born in Tarsus. So if you're looking at the map that's on the screen... The lower circle is the city of Jerusalem. That's where a lot of the activity around Jesus' life takes place. That upper circle is Tarsus. That's where um, Saul was born, and that was a Roman city. So being born in a Roman city made him a Roman citizen. That gave him the freedom to pretty much travel anywhere in the known world under the protection of the Roman banner. It's a huge deal back then, huge deal. What's kind of a little bit tricky, understand about the landscape of the ancient Mediterranean world back then. That used to be Greek territory. The Romans came in and conquered it. But Tarsus was essentially a Greek city that had become a Roman city. So the culture was Greek. The, everything about it was Greek. Paul, being born there, was raised in this culture. So he was steeped in uh, Greek philosophy and in Greek teachings. At the same time, he was born to a Jewish family. So the term that scripture used and that scholars use is Hellenist. Paul was a Hellenist. That means he was a Hebrew in a Greek culture. So Paul, Paul's, he had this unique kind of, this three-pronged uh, ethnicity and heritage. He was Jewish, he was a Roman citizen, and he was raised in a Greek culture. So he could, he could literally relate to the vast majority of the known world at that time. As Paul was growing up, 
he moved to Jerusalem and he studied under probably the most, the foremost rabbi of that time, uh, a gentleman named Gamaliel. Am I saying that right? Looking at my notes, Gamaliel. Um, probably still one of the most respected rabbis. And we met this guy a few chapters earlier when the disciples and the apostles were pulled in front of the Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin was all up in arms and they wanted to punish them and they wanted to, to stone them and, and have them stop preaching in Jesus' name. And Gamaliel stands up and he says, hey, you guys need to slow your roll a little bit. If this is of God, these guys are gonna be unstoppable. And if it's not of God, it's gonna fall apart, so don't worry about it. Gamaliel had tremendous wisdom and this is the man who Paul studied under. All this wisdom was being, was being poured into Paul. Having that cultural background, having that education background, Paul read and spoke Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Paul is a, just a sharp, sharp guy. Scholars tell us that he probably was in proximity to Jesus. At some point, they came close to each other. We have no evidence to suggest that they ever met. But since Paul was a devout Jew, as was Jesus, and much of the festivals required them to travel to Jerusalem to go to the temple, they probably would have been there at the same time. But again, no evidence that they ever actually met. Paul grew to be a Pharisee, and he became one of the foremost Pharisees. Pharisee was a religious leader, teacher, scholar, and kind of their thing was this strict adherence to the letter of the law and a bunch of other things that they added on top of the law. Pharisaic Judaism believed that the Messiah wouldn't come until the entire nation of Israel kept the Torah. So they were sticklers, man, for every little small part of the law. They followed it, and, and Paul like followed it better, better than, than anybody. And they got really upset when there were people around them that weren't doing that. So if there were people not following the Torah, or like Jesus and the disciples, they were trying to lead people. The, um, the Pharisees felt they were trying to be led astray. Man, did they come down on Jesus and the disciples? Obviously, um, there were 18 capital uh, offenses within Judaic law. If you did one of these 18 things, you could be punished by death. One of those things was blasphemy, which was the chief charge against, the primary charge against Jesus and the disciples. So Paul had all this stuff going for him. He was, it was like he was created to be a Pharisee. He had this cultural background, this unique cultural blend. He was educated. He spoke all these languages. And man, he was passionate. And he, he just pursued his faith like no other. But he had all that going for him, and he missed the truth. Jesus comes on the scene, and Paul had studied him his entire life, and yet he still missed him. He was blinded to who, to who Jesus was. All that effort, all that energy. Not only was he blinded to who he was, but he set out to destroy Jesus' body, the church. So that's Paul's backstory. A lot of facts in there, but I think it will be helpful not only for our conversation today, but as we go through the rest of the book of Acts and we look at Paul's life and his experiences and the things that he did. I'm gonna read to you now from Acts chapter nine. It's a long piece of scripture, um, but it's so, it's so worthwhile. Uh, God's word, like if I, I could just read this scripture and just walk away and it would, it would be impactful. God's word is so powerful. So I would encourage you to hang with me through, through these verses. This is, we're gonna go to Acts chapter nine and we're gonna start in verse three. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. 
he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. So Paul's traveling in this group of guys, this little caravan, probably five or six other guys. They're on their way to Damascus to destroy the church. Jesus knocks Saul off of his donkey. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. They led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. This dude is my new favorite biblical hero. This guy is amazing. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. But he came to Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Man, there is so, so much that we could talk about in this passage. We could look at the amazing transformation that Paul went through that was baffling and confused everybody. We could, um, we could look at the death threats that that were levied against him. People were trying to kill him, but that didn't stop him from preaching the world boldly in a culture that was hostile to the gospel. We could talk about how he proved, he proved that Jesus was the Messiah. This one is so cool to me because he, he only had two tools at his disposal. He had his story, which was pretty amazing, his personal experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus, 
and he had the Old Testament. He didn't have the Gospels. He didn't have the New Testament. All the things that we kind of lean on and rely on, he didn't have any of that. He proved that Jesus was the Messiah from the prophets, from the Psalms, from the Old Testament, and he taught the Jews who Jesus was, and many came to believe. Man, I could go really, really deep on each one of those, but I want to spend the majority of our time on this, this thought. Jesus is always at work. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus to know where he is at work and how we might join him in that work. So here's the deal. Jesus did a unique and necessary thing in and for Paul. Jesus met Paul where he was and did what only he could do. I find it fascinating that Paul couldn't see the truth about Jesus until he had become blind to everything else. When he couldn't see anything else, that was, the, that was when he found Jesus. Jesus, I use this phrase a lot, that Jesus meets us where we are, and we think, oh, that's nice, that's, you know, I'm here, I'm in the suburbs, Jesus will find me here. This dude was on his way to destroy the church, and Jesus met him right there in the midst of that, and he stopped him in his track, knocked him off his donkey, and got his attention and transformed his life, and in the process, transformed the rest of the world. Jesus, so Jesus does the heavy lifting, right? He, and he's always at work, and it's our job to keep our eyes fixed on him and to see what he's doing. As we look at Paul's story here, we see that at this point, Jesus drew other people into Paul's story. First is Ananias, my new hero that I mentioned. So think about this, right? God says to Ananias, hey, Ananias, I want you to go to Saul. Uh, I'm good, God. I've, you got this one. You, you take care of it. Saul was on his way to arrest people like Ananias and have him put in jail and possibly put to death. But here's the beautiful thing. Ananias was reluctant, but he went. Jesus can work with the reluctant follower. Jesus can work with a reluctant follower. He still went. And what are the things that Ananias did? So he, he got to Paul and he called him brother. He welcomed him into the family. Jesus said, Paul is with us now. And that was enough for Ananias. And he welcomed him with open arms and he took care of him. And then, um, then he, he, he healed him. He put his hands on him and he healed him through the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he made Paul see again. Now, I would say that this is, this is the exception, right? That God is going to call us into work with him. And there are very few of us who are going to get to participate in this, this supernatural kind of experience. But the bottom line is, if Ananias didn't go when Jesus said go, it never would have happened, right? He had to go. He had to make himself available. When we make ourselves available to the work of the Holy Spirit and then follow him, and again, let him do the heavy lifting. And so he's there, and then, then he baptizes Saul. It says he, he was recovered his sight, and he was immediately baptized. How cool is that? Like immediately, this guy who was out to destroy the church makes a public declaration. Baptism is a, a symbolic yet important public declaration, a public identification with the desert death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's what, that's what Paul did. That's, he, in that moment, he's like, that's who I am. That's what I'm about. That's what I want to be about for the rest of my life. 
a couple weeks ago, we looked at the story. I, I accidentally mentioned Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now I mean it. When Philip shared God's word with the Ethiopian eunuch, he said, hey, I should be baptized right now. He was baptized right now. Paul was baptized immediately. There's, there's no reason to wait um, to, to be baptized. So if you're in a place in your faith journey where you feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm on the road, right? Maybe you picked your head up and like, hey, look at me. I'm following Jesus. Or you've had that moment and you want to identify with Jesus and you want to commit to following him and you want to let the people around you know that so they can help you do that, then talk to me, talk to Ben, Leanne, your small group leader, whoever invited you to Crossroads, talk to somebody and let us know. Um, for COVID reasons and a variety of other stuff, we're not doing our annual baptism service. We're working on the logistics to do just like, if you say, hey, I'm ready, and we have that conversation, and Jesus is doing a work in your life, we'll be ready to baptize you when, when you say, hey, I've, I've made this commitment to Jesus, and I want people to know about it. So that's kind of where we're moving. But we look at Ananias, right? Ananias was reluctant, but he went. He did um, he welcomed Paul into the family. He, he healed him, and then he baptized him. A couple weeks ago, I encouraged us, and I said, man, we, as a community, as individuals in this community, we are really good at meeting people where they are at. And then I challenged us and said, we got to get better at helping them move closer to Jesus. And sometimes that's going to be uncomfortable. Sometimes it's going to be dangerous. I hesitate to say we got to get out of our comfort zones because it sounds really trite, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. If God calls us into something, that means he's already there. He's already in it, right? So we're joining him, remembering that he does the heavy lifting, and it's just our job to keep our eyes on him, regardless of whether it's safe or whether it's, you know, a good idea or whatever, our job to follow him. That's Ananias, my new hero. Real quick, the disciples who helped Paul escape when there was a death threat against him. Paul had a practical need, pretty significant one. His life was on the line. But they came to him, and they met him, and somebody said, hey, use the window at my house. Somebody said, hey, I got a basket. Put him in the basket. I got some rope. We can lower him down. They came to him, and they met his practical needs. Meeting practical needs is a, is a, a significant way that we can help people move closer to Jesus. We can help people with rides. We can help people with childcare. We can help people with work around the house. We can offer cash. We can help people with distance learning. We can provide uh, advice for those of us who are parents, maybe some parenting advice. For those of us who are married, we can give marriage advice. There is literally no end to the practical needs that we can meet and help people move closer to Jesus, just like the people who saved Paul's life in meeting a practical need. Last one, Barnabas. Barnabas is referred to as, his name means son of encouragement. He's an encourager. He stands up for Paul and he says, no, 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 this guy's the real deal. He's, he, he knows Jesus. He had an experience. He's changed. And he did some powerful work already. He stood up for him. At, at some point in all of our lives, we're going to need somebody to stand up for, it, for us. Maybe because we're declaring a hard truth and we need somebody to stand with us to do that. Maybe we've made a mistake and we've screwed up. You know, later on in the New Testament, um, Barnabas sta actually stands up to Paul because Paul is really mad at this guy named John Mark who Paul thinks John Mark has abandoned the team. And Barnabas is like, no, man, he's, he's, we can trust him. We can bring him back in. But he, this was his deal. He would stand up for people. He would encourage people. We need to do the same thing. We need to be willing to stand up for people, stand up with people, 
and our brothers and sisters, we have that knowledge that they're going to stand up with us. So here's the end, folks. Jesus is always at work. In what work is Jesus asking you to join him right now? He is always at work, so all we got to do is open our eyes. So here's the deal. We got to be ready to act when the opportunity arises. We do that, eyes fixed on Jesus, and when he says, go, just like Ananias, just like he told Saul, you go to Damascus, you go to Ananias' house, you go. When he says go, we go. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you take us no matter where we're at, and you find us, and you bring us in, and you make us part of the family, and then you give us brothers and sisters to help us along the way. Jesus, we thank you that you transform hearts and minds like no other, that you change us from the inside out, God. We are so grateful, and we just pray that you would make us the kind of people who would be courageous enough to follow you in that work. We thank you for the work that you've done in so many people's lives at Crossroads. And we look forward to hearing the stories of the work that you're going to continue to do through the people of Crossroads as we commit ourselves to disrupting Fairfield County with your hope and your peace and your love and your joy. In Jesus' name, amen.